We celebrate all the women today and all that God has designed in your life, but especially for you mothers. I saw this, um, it was unauthored, but a quote that said, motherhood is messy and challenging and crazy and sleepless and giving and still unbelievably beautiful. And I count it such an honor today to get to preach. I, uh, last night, Michael kind of switched roles. He got to be mom. Usually he's at church on Saturday nights preparing for Sunday. And uh, so he was getting the kids to bed and I just came in after he was done to kind of kiss them and say goodnight. And I came in the room and I didn't realize he had told Jocelyn and Gwen that I was preaching today. And so I walk in and as soon as Jocelyn uh, sees me, she says, are you going to raise your voice like daddy? And I just was taken back by that. And then she kind of proceeded to mock him in, in a loving way, um, but said, be healed in the name of Jesus and said some things like that. And it was it, was, it just broke my nerves a little bit in that moment. I thought, well, it's so funny to see their perspective on things. Um, but then she finished and she said, Mom, are you a nervous wreck? And I said, well, yeah, that could be one way to explain it. I feel pretty nervous. And, uh, and I just felt the Lord's hand in that moment that, you know, in January of 2020, I have it. Maybe. Um, I have it written in my journal, uh, a prophetic word the Lord gave me. And it was an answer to a prayer, and there was more to it, but one of the words in there was, exercise your faith and do it. And I told Jaws, and I said, I just want to teach you that you can do really hard things, and you can do things that terrify you, and you can do them scared because it's the Lord, and he's faithful. Um, and so I'm just so thankful, and I kept this up here this morning because it helps me <laughs> to exercise your faith and do it. But that's part of the vision for this year, too, is immeasurably more. And sometimes when we're asking God for immeasurably more, we've got to do some work through him, not in our own doing, but sometimes we have to do some of the grunt work. And so I just, little sermon before my sermon, that do it scared. Whatever he's asking you to do, do it scared. He's faithful. Uh, you can go ahead and stand. Uh, we're going to read Psalm 61. That's where uh, my message is out of today. It's a brief psalm. It's just eight verses. But I want to read that together and then you, you can have a seat. Verse 1 of Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Selah. For you, O oh God, have heard my vo vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. You can have a seat. I had a moment in prayer last month where I just felt so overwhelmed. And in the natural, especially, a lot of times when I feel overwhelmed, 
or the to-do list is really long, I will just do something else to add to my to-do list, which is like very contrary to what you should do. For example, I hate cleaning, but I love a clean home, and so it's always on my to-do list, a million things to clean, and so when I don't want to clean and I feel overwhelmed at the thought of cleaning, I decide now's a good time to reorganize our entire closet because I love to organize, but I hate to clean. And therefore, I make more of a mess and make more work for myself than I began with uh, because I was just trying to run away from the list of having to clean. Hey, I organized, so that counts, right? So I'm sitting in my closet with the Lord, and I just felt overwhelmed. Lots of different things, and we're going to talk about what your overwhelmed might be today. And I just heard, I really just felt the thought of having to form a prayer or even find a place to start was really overwhelming in that moment. And I think if we're honest, a lot of, a lot of us have been there where just the thought of, I want to be with the Lord, but I just can't put thoughts together to pray. And I just felt the Holy Spirit, and that's why it's important that we hide God's Word in our heart. But I just heard... When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And I couldn't even remember the reference in that moment, but the Lord didn't care. And I just, that's all I did in my prayer time was, I just opened, I found it, I found Psalm 61, and I just read that. And it just brought peace. And I started digging, and the Lord just started speaking. And so I want to share some of that with you today. And I want to title this, Overwhelmed or Undercover. And in that first verse um, where we, we hear David is saying, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. We find that David is, is very obviously letting us know that he's overwhelmed. He has a plight. And just like my husband and like his father, I'm trying to be in order here and have all my points be P's so you can keep track. So you're welcome for that. Um, but David's plight, he's feeling so overwhelmed. And in the context, you know, there's a lot of Psalms where we know exactly you can kind of go back into 2 Samuel or 1 and 2 Kings and read, like, what is David experiencing at the time he's writing a lot of these Psalms. But from my study, a lot of scholars weren't sure. There's some things that we do know based on what he said, but there's not this, oh, that's definitely this moment in time. And a lot of what is guess that David is experiencing at this time is that we know he's far from home because he says, when I'm at the end of the earth, I will cry to you. Um, He's in distress. He's overwhelmed. Um, He maybe was in a battle. um, Or it could be when Absalom, which a lot of people think this, committed treason. And David is forced um, out, and he has to escape from his home from Jerusalem. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 15. Uh, but either way, he's overwhelmed. So sometimes context helps us understand, like, this is, this is a heavy moment. David didn't wake up and the house is too cold, and so he's overwhelmed because he's freezing. You know, this is a real problem. It's not a moment. Um, it's not just this kind of first world problem. That word overwhelmed, it can mean feeble, faint, weak. It can mean envelop in oneself. Have you ever felt like you're just going to implode on your own self? inside. And other translations use that word, and they translate it as, instead of overwhelmed, they'll say faint, agitated. Can anyone identify? If you're a mother of toddlers, you are agitated sometimes. Maybe you feel hopeless, in trouble, or in despair. 
So what does that look like today? I think a lot of times we can be overwhelmed with a crisis. We can be overwhelmed with grief. We can be hopelessly worried about so many things going on in our world. We can be tired from even doing good. You know, Galatians talks about being weary and well-doing. Sometimes we have our hands at so many things, we feel overwhelmed by good things, but, but maybe not God's things. Maybe you're overwhelmed because your marriage is in trouble. Maybe your finances are in trouble. Uh, maybe you just feel like you're going to implode and your internal thoughts are beating you up. Or maybe it's like David and your children are lost and they're actively running from God. But the Bible is full of overwhelmed people. So being overwhelmed doesn't disqualify you. I think of Hagar. She was overwhelmed by someone else's choices. We read that story in Genesis 16. She didn't have a lot of choice <laughs> in the matter, but here she's tossed out. She's alone. She's out without water, without food, and God shows up as the God who sees. I think Moses was overwhelmed. We know he had a speech some kind of speech problem. Um, and, and so he, I believe Moses was often overwhelmed, or in this case, you could also say agitated by the Israelites, because I would be as agitated by the Israelites, but overwhelmed by his own inability to perform and, and to lead. I think Job was overwhelmed when he had lost everything. And so whatever you are, I, my point is that when you're in this plight and you're overwhelmed, you're not alone. I think we all have something that is overwhelming. And the answer to your plight is posture. David starts the psalm. He says, hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. David's posture was prayer. That word cry, it's a ringing cry, a supplication. I think of Psalm 40 and 1. It says, I waited patient for the patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry he also brought me up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps God is only a prayer away but prayer takes humility and I think you see that in verse 2 when David says lead me to the rock that is higher than I, and I put in my notes, have you ever tried to lead someone who didn't want to go where you were going? The best example I can think of was my children. Whenever we're at their grandparents' house and it is time to go, they do not want to go. <laughs> they do not want to be let out the door. Uh, we actually had a date uh, this week, Michael and I, uh, took, he took me on a date for Mother's Day, and Thursday his parents had them, which is just a few doors down from our house, and we went on a walk, and um, I, we stopped like halfway on our walk to give them a heads up, like, hey, we're coming back soon. Prepare your little hearts <laughs> to leave all the snacks and come home to your mean parents. <laughs> and so we stopped in, and before we could even utter those words, Michael literally kept going, hey, hey, they're just, I don't want to go. No, don't make us go. <laughs> And I said, wow, I feel so loved today. Um, and finally we explained it to them and we came back and it was a little less dramatic, but there were still, still many tears. But children don't often operate in a lot of humility. That's something that they have to learn, so be a good example of humility. Uh, but David here, he's saying, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And prayer 
puts us in posture to have humility. Prayer requires humility. In Genesis 1 and 26, we read where God is creating the whole universe. He's creating man. He's creating woman. And he says uh, that you will have dominion. He gave us dominion. And prayer is very simply, at, at a very simple level, just giving God dominion back. A lot of times we think, hey, Lord, I'm coming to you in prayer, and here's my list of how I want this done. And instead, we really need to come to him and say, I know that I don't have good plans, so I want you to have dominion. And that's why Jesus taught his disciples, your kingdom come and your will be done, because he, had a, a, he has a better plan than us. That word higher, you know, leading me to the rock that is higher than I, so David's humble, but that word higher means exalt, to be high actively. I love that. You know, David was king, so you could say he was exalted. He was high um, in his kingdom, but he wasn't high actively, meaning his rule would end. There would be an ending to David, but Christ, our king, he is actively high. And David, who is exalted and king of a nation, is saying, Lord, lead me to a rock that's actively high. It doesn't change. Peter understood this, I think, when we read in, in John 6 and 68. He said, where can I go? You have the words of eternal life. I also think when David said, uh, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, that word rock it, it means what you would expect. It's not a big surprise. It means like flinty rock or a cliff. But it's the same word um, that I think maybe David remembered in Exodus 17 and 6 where, where the miracle of the water from the rock. When the, the Israelites are in the wilderness and they're thirsty and they're complaining and I'm sure Moses is overwhelmed by their agitation and the, he asks the Lord and the Lord tells him to strike the rock and water comes pouring out. David was pointing to, lead me to a miracle. Lead me to a rock that I can't do this. It's going to have to be you, God. It's going to have to be a miracle. He was testifying of what he needed to see happen in his life. That word lead means lead, guide, or turn your eyes. Psalm 16 and 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Second Chronicles 20 and 12 says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Humility is submitting to the Lord and saying, I don't know, but I submit to your plan, and my eyes are on you. David was postured with his eyes on Christ. So we have prayer. Uh, well, yeah, we have the plight. We have, we have the posture. And then in prayer, we have humility. But we also have that when we come under humility, humility is becoming low, right? It's taking cover or being undercover. And in verse 3, David says, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. That word shelter, it means a hiding place or a covering place. David was talking about being undercover. David is overwhelmed. He's in trouble. His family is falling apart. 
but he chooses to be humble. He chooses to posture his heart in prayer and to come undercover. You know, that word wing that is used, uh, it has some very literal meanings, uh, but 74 times in the Old Testament, that word wing is used referring to the edge or extremity of a bird, which is probably what most people thought of when they read that. It's, it's pretty obvious. But also, in Exodus 25 and 20, we read about the Ark of the Covenant. And it says in that verse, it says, The cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their face shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubim be. So in the context of this scripture, when David is saying, I will abide in your tabernacle, and that word abide means uh, to dwell there, to remain, to stay or continue. In the context of that scripture, that would kind of be like us saying, I'm going to run to the potter's house and stay undercover. But we don't usually say that in the context of a crisis. Why? Because in that time, in that context, the tabernacle was where the presence was. The Holy Spirit didn't, wasn't poured out yet. And so he had to run to the presence, unlike us who have access right away to the presence of God. So David was running for cover under the presence. In the natural, which is probably what most of you thought of, in a bird, they, we know we've probably heard it or referenced it many times or even seen it in real life where a mother bird stretches out her wings in a storm and will cover her birds. And I think it's such a beautiful uh, mental picture on Mother's Day of what a mom will go through for their kids. There's a whole lot that they will put up with if you mess up, mess with their kids. And a, a mom, a mama bird putting her wings around her babies. And so I have a picture that they're going to show um, this is a real-life example, and so we were going last month to visit Michael's parents um, in Hamilton, and when you drive up on their, their driveway, it's kind of a long path, and um, it starts where you're a little bit downhill, and so we didn't say anything at first. We're driving in the van. The kids are so excited. We're going to be there, and all of a sudden, there's this goose in the middle of the driveway, which is hilarious because they have been pestering Michael's dad nonstop. And so I just thought that's hilarious that this is like the introduction to their house we're getting is this goose because he is hating them. And so it's just standing there and we're just kind of laughing because we're in a sealed vehicle and we were in our van. So it's, you know, larger than a little car. And all of a sudden we're just like, well, we're going to keep going. You know, this, we win, we're bigger. This goose just charges, I mean charges, at our car. And I'm like, I'm not scared, but we were just all kind of flustered, like, this goose is crazy. Like, you're not gonna win, and I also don't want you to dent my van. And so it's just charging at us, and, find, and Michael keeps going, because you know, he's not gonna lose. And so we, we keep driving, and this thing just keeps coming, and at the last second, it turns to the side. And I think it harassed a couple other siblings as they arrived as well. Um, but later, I just thought, what delusional geese are around here? Because, I mean, geese kind of just do their own thing, but usually, like, if you get close enough, they don't charge at you in a vehicle. I know they will in real life, and that's a different story. That would not be fun. Um, 
But later, we realized we were out playing that there were goslings behind the tree. And this mother goose said, I, this is crazy. I have no idea what I'm going to do if this van actually meets me. But I know that my babies are behind me. And so I'm going to cover them. And I'm going to take the blow for them if that's what's required because that's her babies. And she'll do anything for them. So I think that's a good warning to anybody. Uh, who, if you see a mama, don't mess with her baby. She will do anything, even if it's crazy, to protect her babies. But what really stood out to me is, uh, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, the wing of a bird, but also that word wing is used 14 times, talking about the skirt or a corner of a garment. And I thought, that's kind of bizarre. Um, but after digging in the word, I want to look at what's the significance of a skirt or the co corner of a garment in scripture. And in Numbers 15, 37 through 40, it says this. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may follow, that you may not follow the harlotry to which your, your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. And that you may remember and do all the commandments and be holy for your God. So tassels, I have a prayer shawl this, this morning um, because I did not have any dresses with tassels on the bottom, although I do love tassels, so um, I had a few, like, shirts, but um, they put tassels on the corner of their garments. This is what the Lord asked for them, and they were to remind them of the law. So when they're feeling overwhelmed, they would look and remember. When they're feeling temptation, they would look and they would remember the law of the Lord and his commands, and it would remind them to, to resist temptation to leave. And it's so important when you're overwhelmed to remember and to take the posture of David, to be undercover, to remember the Lord's command because the devil's not real smart. I don't want to give him credit this morning. He's not that smart, but he is tricky. And in Ephesians 6, it tells us to be wise and to stand through his trickery. So it's important for us to remember that, guess what? When you're overwhelmed, it's going to all hit. You're going to get you know, what do they say? When it rains, it pours, right? When you're feeling overwhelmed, that's when you're going to face some serious temptation. And when the Lord convicts you about anger, you're going to have a really stressful week at home or at work because the enemy is tricky and he knows that the Lord is just working on you in there. And so he's, he's, that one coworker is really going to be annoying. That one middle child, that one firstborn, that, middle, that one third child is really going to test your patience this week because you're overwhelmed and the enemy knows he can tempt you. When you're convicted about lust, guess what? Everybody who walks by you from now on is going to be beautiful and handsome because you're going to be tempted because the enemy knows that you're overwhelmed because the Lord is convicting you. But in 1 Corinthians, it talks about every temptation— the Lord will make a way of escape. So the Lord was telling them, put these tassels on, and I just imagine it in my mind that when they're walking and they're feeling that temptation or it, it talks about your eyes and being distracted, 
that maybe a tassel on the corner of their garment would catch their eyes and remind them of the command of the Lord and remind them to stay focused and keep your eyes on Christ. The other thing that's unique um, in that scripture, you probably saw it, maybe it stood out to you, but the Lord commanded that there was a blue thread in each tassel. I don't have a blue thread, so we're going to use our imagination this morning. And I thought, well, that's weird. Maybe God's favorite color is blue. Um, But in Numbers 4, 5 through 6, it's talking about the ark, and the Lord is giving commands for when the ark is uh, when the tabernacles be taking, taken up and they're on the move. And it says, And when the camp setteth forth, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it, and shall put thereon the covering of badger skin, and shall spread over it a cloth holy of blue, and shall put in the staves thereof. When the ark was on the move, it was covered in a blue cloth. I believe that's pointing to taking cover under his presence. Like David said, I'm going to run to the tabernacle. It was pointing to the ark where the presence of God was. But also, uh, blue was used um, all throughout Scripture in Exodus 28, 31 through 32 or some. There's many other places, and I won't read them, but the word... um, Blue is used in many of the priestly garments. Most of them had some sort of blue. Um, There's other translations that are violet as well. And why is this important? Why am I talking about the color blue? It is not my favorite color. Um, But because it's so significant. God God is so intentional with his word. And that, that blue that's talking about the priestly garments in the Old Testament In our New Testament side of the Bible, where we get to live, it's because we have a high priest in Jesus, who, guess what? He fulfilled the law. Hebrews 14, 14, 14 through 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. But as in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So when David is singing, I will trust in the shelter of your wings, he's not just saying I'm taking cover under the presence of God. He's not just saying I'm taking cover like a baby to a mama bird because I know she'll protect me. David is pointing to the finished work of Jesus. We have access because of Jesus to the throne room of grace. We don't have to run to a tabernacle. We don't have to to, uh, go before a prophet. We have access through our high priest, Jesus. And, And if we, what kind of access do we have? Okay, so I say, yeah, we have access to Jesus. Well, what does that mean? And I think we need to take a look at the ark. Because if Jesus is our ark, then let's compare that. Because every time the ark was used in the scripture, when God said for it to be used, uh, guess what? It provided victory in every battle. It also, when it was placed in the home of Obed-Edom, it, pre- it made a miracle of reproduction. And in the ark, there was manna, which speaks to supernatural 
provision. And Aaron's rod that budded was in there. In Hebrews 4.16, we just read it. I want to read it again. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Aaron's rod that budded represented our priesthood, that it was Christ, and we could come right to him so we could come boldly to the throne of grace that we could obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. Jesus gives us immediate, immediate. We don't have to run. It doesn't matter if we're on the other side of the planet. We have immediate access to grace and mercy. We have access to all of God's kingdom when we are postured undercover. In the scriptures, we see the story of a woman who I think understood the power of the presence of Jesus. She believed that just one touch of the hem of his garment would be transformational. We read the account, you can read them in the Gospels, but in Matthew 9 and 20, I'll read that one, it's, it's a little bit more concise. It says, and suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. Think of that. I mean, some of the hard things we face, some of our overwhelming situations are overwhelming and they're hard, but have they been 12 years? 12 years. Maybe some of you have had longer, have, have been uh, abiding and been undercover for longer than 12 years. But she comes to Jesus. She says, 12 years, she came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I will be made well. But Jesus turned around and he saw her and said, be of good to your daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well that hour. She was undercover. She went low. There was a crowd and the disciples, we read in other passages, had told her, hey, stay back. Hey, he doesn't have time. Jesus was on his way to do another miracle. But she got low, and she made her way through that crowd, and she knew that when she was undercover, if she just had one touch of his presence, she would be made whole. And I think on Mother's Day, when we're talking about that word wing being used as a skirt or a corner of a garment, I also think about how a lot of times before service, I try to, at least, come into service and get all my talking out to save Michael throughout the week. I try to come in and just walk around and just greet and, and be with people. I really enjoy that. And um, I try to bring the girls along to teach them to be friendly, to teach them those things that um, four and six-year-olds don't naturally have, like conversation skills. And every time, you will usually see them yanking on my arm, trying to pull me away from talking to you because they want to go do their own thing and their own plan. But a lot of times, especially Gwen, she's yanking on my dress. Tobin would just crawl right under it, um, but she's yanking on my dress, trying to cover her face because she's embarrassed, and she's just taking cover behind me. Why? Because I'm her mom, because there's safety, and so in that moment where she's feeling overwhelmed by someone who's taller than her, by people talking to her, she finds cover in the corner of my garment. When we are overwhelmed, we have the choice to stay far away, that's where David started in this psalm. He said, when I'm far away, we have the choice to self-implode, to just totally lose it, collapse on ourselves, or we can cry out in prayer and shove our face 
in the hem of his garment until our cry becomes our praise. Because this psalm has such a contrast. It starts with this heartbreak that you can just relate. I, I can imagine to David. I can't imagine what it's like when your own son betrays you and when you're pushed out of the kingdom and, and he's seen so much hardship and he's gone through so much life. But yet we see such a turn because he postured himself and he came undercover and he ends in praise. It says in verse 5, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Heritage, you know, a lot of us might have a great rich heritage. We might love the heritage of our family. We, we don't usually get to pick that. But some of us maybe have a heritage that's miserable, and we don't, we don't want to talk about it. We don't, we don't want to claim it because it's it's tragic it's full of trauma it's full of pain I'm thankful I have a really wonderful heritage one of my favorite memories of my grandmother although I have some very funny ones as well because she was wild but one of my favorite memories of my dad's mom was um, we would drive by her house late at night when we were coming home by from church or just anything and we would just drive by and say let's see if grandma's up because a lot of times you would see in their spare room that was her prayer room just she would have a lamp on and she would be praying. And I'm so thankful that that's part of my heritage, that I had grandparents who prayed for me before I was born. That's a gift and that's a blessing. And if you have it, don't take it for granted. And if you don't have it, there's great news for you. In Romans 8 and 1, it says, Therefore now, now no condemnation, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And when we adopted our son Tobin, they, um, we got to foster him before we adopted him, so we knew most of his family history. Um, you kind of piece it together because you just get bits here and there and you're not sure what's true, what's not true. So I just try to keep record of everything for our knowledge, for his knowledge one day if he would want to know. But when we were finalizing the adoption and signing a million papers to lead up to that, um, they send you this CII, which is C CSI, which is a child study inventory. And his was 20 pages long and it was a small font and just lines and lines and page after page after page of all that they know, all that's in Franklin County Children's Services database about his life and leading up to his life. And we were required to sign a document saying that we read it, and I felt like we knew most of it, but there was certainly a lot in there that we didn't know. Um, and we had to read just 20 pages of this document. And the more you read, the more overwhelming you felt. Because we love this little boy and he's our son, but my goodness, there's not a rich heritage there. There was a lot of brokenness. And I'm not gonna talk about that and I honor his mom and, and what she's walked through. But there was such brokenness reading page after page and I was actually rocking him to sleep that night and I was like, oh, now's a good time. I can read through this document so that we can sign this paper and, and, and turn it in. And it was really quite depressing 
And I just felt the, the Holy Spirit remind me that my blood speaks a better word. And when you're adopted in to the kingdom of God, that heritage that you have that is full of trauma and pain, guess what? You get the heritage of the kingdom, which is full of mercy and truth. In verse 6, David says, You will prolong the king's life, his years, as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. You hear David's prayer of saying his years for many generations. It's so important, and especially on Mother's Day, we can be reminded that our children see how you respond when you're overwhelmed. Do you implode? Do you run to temptation? Or do you run undercover? Do you take the posture of humility in prayer? David wasn't asking in this psalm. He wasn't saying, hey, God, come pick me up. Come deliver me from this moment. I don't want to be here. That's kind of how I felt before service today. Last night, actually, before bed, I said, even so, come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I was banking on the rapture. And then I thought, you know what? We're Pentecostal. The Holy Spirit might just break out. And hey, um, there's benefits to being Pentecostal, okay? But David's not asking to be delivered. He's standing firm on God's mercy and his truth. And mercy is goodness and kindness. Truth is stability and faithfulness. Our children need goodness they need kindness, they need stability, and they need faithfulness. That's what our kids need. And they need to see Christ do that in you first so you, they can see that in you. And I, I wanna tell this story because I think sometimes we can read scripture and it can be very poetic or I'm, I'm, not, much one, I'm not one much for poems. Switch those words around if they're not right. Um, but so we can read Psalms and, and, and not apply it, not understand the context, not apply it to our life because we're, we're not Israelites and we're not fighting a battle and our son didn't just commit treason to us. You know, those are kind of like out of this world for our world experiences. But it's very real and applicable to whatever your overwhelming is. And I believe it was last year or the year before, I'm not great with dates, um, we were at the zoo, and, and some of you in here today were there. I know two of you, at least, uh, your families were at the zoo when this happened. But there was a threat, and I'm, I'm going to be careful with my words because I don't want to scare our security, or, or not scare them, but put them in motion, our security team. Uh, but there was a threat. We were getting ready to leave the zoo, and we were, you know, when you're getting ready to leave the zoo, you're usually, like, really done with people, with the heat, with your children. So we're getting ready to leave the zoo, and I'm just like looking forward to the AC of the car, the kids in their seats, and, and they were pretty good, but you know, you just, I'm not a touchy-feely person, and so I appreciate a car ride where no one's touching me. And so um, we're on our way out, and we go out right under the bridge, and all of a sudden, um, someone panics. I don't know who that person is, but God bless them. Um, someone panics because there was an altercation with police at the front of the zoo, and they send word through the entire zoo that there is a threat. Um, and so I always wondered before this moment how people got trampled. In my mind, I just thought, well, just stand up. Like, 
what do you mean they die because they got trampled? It just seems really horrifying and terrible to me. Until that moment where panic hit the Columbus Zoo, uh, you maybe heard about it on the news, but um, I mean, sheer panic. And we've got two of our kids in stroller. Jocelyn was out of the stroller. Thankfully, Michael was there that day. And I'm kind of like a freeze person. <laughs> when bad things happen, I'm just like, well, what are we going to do? Um, so don't, don't run for cover for me if you're ever in a hard situation. I will not help you run for cover with Jesus. And so um, it's sheer panic. It was terrifying. And people are just losing it. And so I'm like, well, we got to pick up our kids because they're in Jocelyn's like Roman free and Tobin and Gwen people. I mean, you just couldn't even walk. And it was, it was horrifying. And so I can't remember which kid I grabbed. Michael probably grabbed a couple. I think I had one kid in one hand and Michael had one. And, and we're just like, where can we hide? Um, and every, some people were just running around screaming. So I'm sure they sent panic to the back of the, continued that. Um, but we were like, you know, we're not, run, we're not runners anyway, <laughs> but we're not going to be runners with our kids, you know. I mean, they're, they're starting to recognize, especially Jocelyn, something is wrong. I need to be terrified is kind of what her face was saying. And so we scoop them up just like a mama bird would, and we take them to the corner, and there's these huge tall fences, which are great for animals who can't escape, but terrible when you're a human trying to escape. And it's funny now because we're fine and there was no real threat. No one was hurt, so I should say that. But we're in behind these evergreens, and I'm just knelt down trying to hold the kids, trying to get them to be quiet because, you know, we're trying to be hidden. And Jocelyn is just, I mean, as you would, I, I was terrified. Honestly, if my kids weren't there, I maybe would have responded differently, but it was like, i got to protect my kids. And I don't know what my process of thinking was, but I was like, Michael, I'm staying here with the kids. You go check out what's going on. <laughs> and I remember just like kind of pushing him. I mean, he wasn't resisting, but he, he was kind of, I, I imagine like, and he said later, what did you think I was going to be able to do? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I just felt like you needed to know so that I could know so that I could keep these babies safe. And I wasn't going to leave my babies. I mean, I trust him with them, but I just, I just couldn't leave them. So, sorry, you had to take one for the team. And we shoved him out, and I think that made the kids more upset because they're like, well, now where's dad? But I was like, he's just going to find out what's going on. We're safe. And, I mean, there was a family over in the corner, um, the, a mom and daughter, and they had, like, lost their shoes and running, and, and the daughter's just screaming. And then on the other side, there was a family, and the mom, they were older. She was, she was being quiet, and she had her hands just praying away, dead silent. And Jocelyn is just crying, and Gwen starts crying because, hey, big sister's crying. Let's cry. Tobin had no idea what was going on. And I looked at Jocelyn, and we had, we had just memorized Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and mind. And I said, Jocelyn, say your verse. Jocelyn, say your verse. And it wasn't just for her. It was for me. Somebody start quoting scripture. Somebody help us in this moment. Because I, I, I want to meet Jesus, but not that way. And, and not with my kids. Not that way. And, and she was crying, and she just kept saying it and kept saying it. And guess what? She was still crying. 
And thankfully, Michael was safe, and he made it back and let us know that it was okay. And it was an awesome opportunity. We got to pray with another family. Everyone was so shaken up. I mean, they were just, you, you just, and if you've ever been in a car accident or experience like that, you're not trying to cry or shake. You just are. It just rattles your nerves. Your adrenaline's a mess. But in that moment, it was, hey, let's go undercover. Let's go hide and let's pray because I don't have any peace because the situation around me tells me, hey, you should be panicked. Hey, you should be overwhelmed. But hey, let's go read what the word says. Let's look at the tassels and let's remember his commands and let's take cover under his presence and remember that I can shove my face in the skirt and the, the hem of his garment and remember I am terrified. I am terrified, but I have access to peace that surpasses understanding. You know, we're not exempt. David knew we weren't exempt from hardship just because we were, were believers. The Israelites, if you read how their journey started in the wilderness, it says God took them by way of the wilderness. Why? Because he had lessons they needed to learn. And you just think, God, why didn't you put them on a jet plane? They were your people. Instead, you intentionally took them through the desert. And I believe, without getting too far off track, that was to keep their eyes on him because there were so many idols all around. And if they weren't desperate enough, they would have turned to every other God except keeping their eyes on him. You know, we read in, in Psalm 23, it talks about the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say, hey, deliver me. Hey, throw me over the valley of the shadow of death so I can just skip it. It says he'll guide you. He'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. God's mercy and his truth will preserve. That word preserve, it means to watch, to guard, to keep, and to protect you. If you stand with me, I want to read this last verse. If everyone, everyone will stand, in, in verse 8 it says, So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. What started with crying, David said, I cry out, oh God, hear my cry, attend to my prayer, is now saying, ending in, I will sing your praise that I may daily perform your vows. What started with crying is ending with singing. I just felt so strongly, um, this, is, this has been a month where I've been of just, hey Lord, I need to be undercover. And, and I just felt his heart that, man, what I'm, what I, what, what's overwhelming for me is, is probably so little for some of the things that I know some of you are facing and, and some I just don't know, but I can see it on your face sometimes. That man, God took this Mother's Day to remind you that if you will submit and you will be humble and you will, you will come in prayer and posture yourself, it'll end in praise. It'll end in praise. And, and that crying, it will be water for, for sheaves. It will be growth for sheaves for you to come and bring a harvest. What's impossible for us is not impossible for him. I wanna take a minute and I just wanna pray for those who are feeling overwhelmed this morning. And then in a little bit, we're gonna call the moms up. We just have a poem that we love to read to honor you and 
or what we'll call all the women up. But um, I'm not going to call you forward this morning, but if you feel overwhelmed today, maybe that's your marriage, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's great things, and it just feels like maybe you picked up more than you can handle. Maybe your kids are running and, and it's breaking your heart and you feel overwhelming. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand and I want to pray over you. And if you're near somebody who has their hand lifted up, you could just lay it gently on their shoulder. We want, we want the Holy Spirit to do the work today. Look around. There's somebody beside you who's overwhelmed. Lord, we just thank you. We're so thankful. Lord, you're a safe place we can run to when we're overwhelmed. Lord, lead us to the rock that is higher than I. It's a rock that its height doesn't change and its height doesn't end. Lord, you are actively high. You are God all the time. You don't fall off your throne. And nothing got to us that didn't pass through you. You don't make mistakes, Lord. And even in our mistakes, you find a way for those who love you to weave it into the story. And Lord, I thank you, Lord. Lord, that, that what started us crying, Lord, I thank you will end in singing your praise. God, I pray for the heart that feels defeated. Lord, restore joy, restore hope, Father. I thank you that in your presence, Lord, they'll find every single thing that they'll need. Give them, Lord, uh, grace to walk in humility. Give them grace to submit low and to be postured under the cover of your wing. Because just like a mama, you will be crazy to protect them. You will be crazy to cover them. I thank you, Lord. That, Lord, uh, because of Jesus, we have access to the supernatural. We have access to divine provision for those finances that are overwhelming. We have access, Lord, to miracles of reproduction. Lord God, when we long for a child, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you're a wonderful God. Lord, that you're a miracle-working God. Lord, in the middle of a desert, Lord, you can provide water to your people. So I pray that our eyes are set and our gaze is fixed on you. We won't look to the left and we won't look to the right, but we'll look to you who's the author and the finisher of our faith. Our eyes are set on you who are our source. We won't look to our resource. You are our hope. Lord, when we stand fast on mercy and truth, you are our stability. You are our faithfulness, God. I thank you, Lord, that your word says, Lord, even when we're faithless, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself. I thank you, Lord, when you look on sons and daughters, you see the blood of Jesus. I thank you that it gives us access in the courts of heaven where the accuser would come and say, hey, look at this. Hey, look at their heritage. Hey, look at all the wrong. Hey, look at all the mess ups. Hey, look at all the trauma. I thank you that Jesus says, I know. And I thank you that we have access to be adopted as sons and daughters, that our heritage and our mess ups don't matter. We have a new heritage, Father, Lord, and I pray that we would walk in it and we remember your commandments and we would keep them, Father, so that there's a generation behind us that will stand on our ceiling and they will run towards you. They will run fervently to your word. 
I thank you for your grace and your love in this room. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.